This is Grim Vision. I am the thin man in the black hat, bringing you a tale of fear and unease. Musician Brian Wilson once said that he creates for the listener, that he creates music for people so they'll know that he is a source of love and that the listener can depend on his name. That's admirable, right? An artist selflessly dedicated to his craft. It's beautiful. But what of the other side of the same coin? What about the musician focused solely on their selfish, heartless goals, eyes set on dollar signs? The creator lost in the turbulence of becoming number one. 1966. Rubber Soul changed what an LP could be. Pet sounds changed what pop music can sound like. There I was, in the center of an industry in the midst of big change, and I could barely keep up. Up until now, it was all about the next single and reaching number one. The whole body of work didn't matter. LPs were just collections of radio hits. Then John, Paul, and Brian had to go fuck it all up. You know the song Wooly Bully? I sold them the melody. Oh Pretty Woman would have been Are You Lonely if I hadn't read over Roy's lyrics before he went in the booth. I had the Midas touch back then. My pen would touch paper and money would just spill out all over the page. The world didn't know Tom Zamadio but every industry insider did. You never saw my name in the liner, but ask any singer at the time who I was and they'd sing praises at the top of their lungs. On paper, I was a songwriter specializing in singles, but it felt like I was a god amongst the greatest in the world. You know what drove me up the goddamn wall, though? It was never me. It didn't bother me at first, back in 62, selling a lyric here, a piano riff there. It was easy. I quickly realized there was money in songwriting. A lot of money. Just because your name wasn't on the front cover doesn't mean you can't get a fat check from it. I had deals with Capitol Records, Monument, any major label you can think of. I was in there. After a while, though, it stopped being enough. Two houses weren't enough. Five cars weren't enough. All the hash wasn't enough. I had it all in absolute excess, and it wasn't enough. For once... I wanted it to be mine, my music, my lyrics. I called in a favor and struck a one-album deal with Capitol. They would handle everything. Production costs, marketing, everything. I wouldn't have to spend a dime. Going off my track record, the LP would be a stack of hits. Singles for the next eight months at least. I had a good team behind me. A lot of support. It felt good. At that moment, I was on top of the world. It would be like the old days. Thirteen months later, I'd run into a problem. For the first time in my career, I found myself in the throes of writer's block. The album was late. Executives were pissed. Marketing was pissed. I was pissed. Capital wanted the first single and I couldn't make it happen. I'd spend hours in the studio with the best musicians in the industry and would leave with nothing. The money fountain in my pen dried up too. Lyricism seemed to have completely escaped me. Pardon my French, but I was fucked. 
I was in the studio late one night after sending everyone home. I was frustrated. I was scared. And I lost my touch. The studio was hazy, thick with smoke from my third joint of the hour. My yellow legal pad had been thrown across the room. I nearly chewed my pen in half. Tom? I jumped. <sighs> Good lord, Rob. You scared the hell out of me. Rob Johnson was my go-to for guitar. There was talented, there was gifted, and then there was Rob. The sounds and melodies he could produce from his guitar. <sighs> I'm getting teary-eyed now just thinking about it. Tom, I'm sorry. <sighs> sorry for what? You're trying, Tom. I know this isn't you. I turned toward Rob. He stood there, hat in one hand and guitar case in the other. I don't know what to do, man. I took a hit and handed my joint to Rob. He set his guitar down and walked around the drum kit, <coughs> sitting down on the throne. I heard that, Tom. Rob coughed. Session work ain't going too good right now, either. That Brian kid's still working with the Wrecking Crew for his new record? It's left me high and dry. You know, Rob, I don't even think he's making real music anymore. I laughed. I heard some of his sessions... And one of them is just him talking to his friends about how depressed he is. <laughs> Rob laughed, taking another hit of the joint. What's happening to music, Tom? Where'd the mystique and the skill go, you know? I sat down on the floor and put my head in my hands. God damn it. We sat in silence for a little while. I heard Rob open his guitar case. I was waiting to hear him strum but instead I heard the faint sound of paper rustling. I looked up and saw him holding an envelope. Well, Tom, maybe we need to take drastic measures, huh? He opened it. If you can't beat him, join him, <laughs> right? Rob pulled a small sheet of cardstock out of the envelope. It was covered in perforations. <laughs> the hell is that? <laughs> Rob laughed. Come on, Tom. I thought you were with it. <laughs> I'd never tripped before. Pretty sure I'd lied about doing it at a party or two to save face. Rob set a small square of paper from the sheet on my tongue, and I was gone. Suddenly, I was so pissed about everything that I was happy, completely elated. The studio we were inside of revealed its heartbeat to us. Rob and I stretched out on the floor beside each other, feeling the new liquidity of the ground beneath us. Rob, I smiled. I'm sorry music isn't music anymore. I was cheerfully gutted. Tom, I have something else. I looked over at him. Rob slowly stood up and then pulled his guitar out of its case. He plugged it in and took a breath. He struck a chord and I watched in absolute amazement as astounding colors and ambrosial scents spilled from the words flowing from his mouth. He sang me the most delicate, yet most powerful love song I'd ever heard. I cried. I felt my heart swoon and ache. Jesus. I mumbled when he finished. Rob. That... That was amazing. I didn't know you could sing. Come on, Tom. No, Rob. Seriously. That could be a number one. Easy. Rob smiled. There was a twinkle in his eye. That means a lot coming from you, Tom. Really. Play it again for me, Rob. 
Rob stood up, guitar in hand, and played the song for me another four times. I cried each time. I was stupefied. Rob, what do you call that? I call it in time. The hook resonated deep with me. It was painful but hopeful. Real feelings, raw emotions. I loved it. Suddenly, an idea hit me. That's it, Rob. That's it. In time is the answer. Rob gave me the look. It was a smile he'd give me when he knew we were onto something big. In time is the single I need. The look left Rob's face. He looked worried now. Tom, I've put a lot into this. I need this, Rob, I said with a hint of desperation. Suddenly, the look returned. A bit more devilish than usual. Okay, Tom. It's yours. I couldn't believe it. I suddenly had goosebumps. I was beaming. I eagerly pulled out my wallet. Well, I've got $500 cash in here right now. I could go to the car and cut you a check for me. No, Tom. This is how it's going to be. My number one for your number one. My smile slipped away. Really, Rob? He smiled. Our understanding was unspoken. You could barely call it an assumption. Rob wanted in on Love Like You. The best song I'd ever been a part of. It was a number one hit, but not in the way you think. Years ago, Rob and I wrote Love Like You together when I was just starting out. I considered it a writing exercise at the time. It was a collection of catchy melodies and interesting progressions with bare-bones lyrics, similar to heroes and villains. It was more of a sound collage than anything. Nothing meant to be heard by the public. I ended up selling it to Capitol Records behind his back for $2,000 plus royalties. It was a completely heartless move, but that's business sometimes. I still feel bad about it. I was young and dumb. I don't know how or why Rob decided to forgive me. Maybe he was waiting for a moment like this. The Love Like You deal I had with Capitol was simple. Was your new song inspired by Love Like You? Tom Samadio gets 8% of that song's revenue. Now that's what I call a hit. A real number one. I could put my grandchildren through college with Love Like You. Rob was driving a hard bargain here. Another name attached to Love Like You would cost me a lot of money. But I knew that In Time could easily recoup those losses. Fine. You got it. Love Like You. You're in. Tom, I gotta have In Time, man. I'll get on the phone with Capital tomorrow. You have my word. Rob set his guitar back in his case. He walked out from behind the drum kit and picked up my notepad on the other side of the room. Still got that pen? He scribbled something down on the pad and handed it to me, along with the pen. It simply read, Robert Johnson's number one for Tom Samadio's number one. What's this? Just sign it for me, Tom. Oh, come on. Sign it. Rob blurted out in a curt tone. It could have been whatever was left over from the acid, but for a moment there, Rob seemed really angry. Maybe I was the one freaking out. It felt weird. I was startled. Yeah, but I really did owe this to him. I scribbled my signature underneath, and he followed. He tore the sheet from the pad. I'm going to keep this, Tom. I'm not going to get screwed again. 
was right. In Time was a hit. It ended up being the title track of the LP. The album was the textbook definition of success. People couldn't get enough of In Time. I was playing the song everywhere, selling out venues across the country and broadcasting into people's homes during every late night talk show you could think of. Tom Samadio wasn't just a behind the scenes guy anymore. It was my voice singing out the smash hit with my face on the album cover. Of course, I kept my end of the deal. I called up Capitol Records and got Rob credited for Love Like You. My 8% of the royalties became 7%. I mean, he just wanted in. He didn't ask for a certain number. I guess he was happy with that first check though. Because I heard no complaints from him come payday. While on the road, I fell for my tour manager. Tacky, I know, but Ellie really understood me. On the last night of my world tour, I called her on stage and proposed to her. I'd never heard a louder crowd than when she said yes. The touring cycle finally came to a close two years after the album's release, and I got to be home with Ellie. We quickly got a bun in the oven, and nine months later, she gave birth to little Alan Samadio. He had my eyes and Ellie's nose. My heart was a flutter. What a beautiful wife, a handsome son, and people all around the world singing my song. I truly felt complete. The drive home from the hospital was a chaotic mix of emotions. We were ecstatic about parenthood, but heavy fog caused the drive home to be a bit treacherous, to say the least. I breathed a sigh of relief when I put the car in park, when we reached the end of the driveway. I helped Ellie and Alan inside and upstairs to the nursery, then headed back to the car to unload our bags. It was dark out. The street lights were fuzzy from the fog. The air carried the scent of wet, rotting leaves. I opened the trunk and reached in to grab a bag. Tom. I jumped, dropping the bag and swung around. My heart was racing. It was Rob. Jesus Christ, Rob. I laughed nervously. You scared the hell out of me. He smiled. It's good to see you again, Tom. It's been a while, hasn't it? It has been, yeah. I think I last saw you at Hunter's for a drink before you got on the road. Wow, you're right, two years. Time flies when you're having fun, right? Rob smiled, saying nothing. What have you been up to, Rob? Rob laughed a bit, sticking his hand in his pockets. You know... Things are good, Tom. Things are really good. It seemed like Love Like You was treating him well. Rob wasn't as scraggly as I remembered. He was wearing a crisp, poplin button-up shirt, his initials monogrammed on the collar. There was a strange note of excitement in his voice, though. Or was it anticipation? I don't know how to describe it. He looked down at his feet almost bashfully and kicked a rock off the driveway. Something wasn't right. Something didn't feel right, at least. I looked behind Rob and noticed he didn't have a car with him. It's really good to see you, I told him, trying to wrap up the conversation. We actually just got back from the hospital, me and Ellie. I got married, by the way. And we're just putting our son, Alan... Tom. Rob said, still looking at the ground. It's time. He looked up at me and gave me the look. It felt different this time. His eyes seemed a little vacant. His smile was feigned. Rob. It's time, Tom. I was confused. Listen, let's just grab a drink tomorrow. It's late and I... Tom! It's time. 
Rob said with a smile. What are you going on about, Rob? I was getting frustrated. I was tired. I was confused. I loved Rob to death, but I slept sitting up in a chair last night and I just wanted to go lay in bed. Did you forget, Tom? Rob grinned. He pulled his hands from his pockets. He had a crumpled up piece of paper in his left hand. You didn't forget, did you, Tom? Suddenly, I heard Ellie scream from inside the house. I turned my head toward the house and then whipped it back to Rob. I'm sorry, I gotta... Tom, it's... No time to listen to Rob drone on anymore. I threw open the front door and flew up to the nursery. There was Ellie, sprawled on the floor, sobbing. Was she hurt? Was Alan hurt? I rushed over to the crib and looked inside. No baby. I looked down at Ellie. I just went to the bathroom. She wept. And when I came back... Ellie began sobbing uncontrollably. I stumbled around the room. Alan was gone. I began to cry too. What happened? Where was my son? Suddenly, in the distance, I heard the sound of a baby crying. I listened closely. It was coming from outside. I tore down the stairs and nearly ripped the front door off its hinges. There, in the heavy fog, stood Rob in the driveway. In his hands, he cradled Alan. Rob gently rocking Alan in his arms, calming him down easily. I found myself unable to move, seemingly frozen. Fist balled up at my sides. You forgot, didn't you, Tom? Rob called out. He began to laugh. <laughs> he slowly turned his back and walked away into the fog with my baby. Still laughing. I watched him disappear into the night. I felt something in my left hand. I slowly looked down and saw the same piece of crumpled up paper I saw in Rob's hand a moment ago. My eyes widened shaking. I held the paper, reading it to myself again and again, wishing I wasn't so blind, so stupid. It was never about love like you. I read it once more, whispering it to myself in complete disbelief. Robert Johnson's number one for Tom Samadio's number one. Thank you for suffering the vision. Tonight featured production by Mike Bamford, a story by Jim Gulickson, and performances from Brandon Spam, Mike Bamford, and Kath Pizza. Suffer the vision further by following us on Instagram at Grim Vision Podcast. If tonight left you cold and shaken, consider donating to our Patreon patreon.com slash grimvisionpodcast. The meek, the uninitiated, and general well-wishers may contact us at grimvisionpodcast at gmail.com. This has been Grim Vision. I am the thin man in the black hat, and I'll be seeing you again.